uh, first of all, what I would like to say is uh, thank you to all of you. Um, for my wife, Laura, and I, uh, uh, for us to be so far away from here and to just know how you care for your pastor and for his wife and for his children is um, a, a really important to us. And obviously, it's a soft spot in my heart. And so I first of all want to say I appreciate all of you for that. Um, I've been told that some of you want to hear stories about Eldon, about Aaron <laughs> when he was a little shaver, and um, I have plenty of those, but I was instructed by my son not to share any of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there is one thing, though, that I do want to start with uh, from, uh, from our family, and it's, uh, it's, it's this uh, little phrase that, uh, that you see on the screen. It, it's good to know what the Bible says. It's better to know what the Bible means. It's best that it becomes who we are. And that was uh, a core of our family as uh, the kids were growing up. And um, it's going to be the core of what we're going to uh, hear about today. Uh, all through Scripture, there are imperatives on... Um, on how we should live based on what it is that we know from God's words. Uh, there's the put-ons and the put-offs, the do's and the do-nots. Uh, there's phrases like walk in a manner worthy of your call. Even in our passage today, let your behavior be excellent. Uh, there's the concept of renewing your mind. Uh, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, the, uh, the New Testament is full of words like practice, exercise, learn, and grow. Um, th th this, is, this is all as a result of what we know from what God has told us in his word. The word itself is full of passages about its value to us. You, 2 Timothy 2, the, uh, um, the, the passage that God breathed, as it tells us, that's useful for reproof for correction, for teaching, for training in righteousness, that you and I would be adequate, equipped for every good word. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the word is living and active, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians to let the word do its work in you. Um, e even, even the greatest chapter in the Bible on itself, do you know what that is? Psalm 119. 176 verses, 22 octaves on God's word. Things like, how does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. It says, my, your word I have hidden in my heart, I have embedded in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, all of this is a process that we as Christians should be going through as we read and study and meditate on God's word. How do we become these things that the Bible keeps speaking to us about? Well, if you know your Bible, you know it's by the power that resides in us through faith in Christ, and that he is, in fact, our example. He's our example in all things. These things flow from what we know about him, about what we know about what he has told us about how to live our lives. In this, we worship and so I, I, I want to start by setting the, the, the foundation with that 
And now I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our times. Would you join me as I pray? Father, we are so grateful for your gift of salvation to us, first and foremost, for your son and for what he did. And then, Lord, that you gave us your word to tell us about you so that we would grow, so that we, we would glorify you, we would be those that do good for others, that we would know how to live. And so this morning, Lord, let me not be in the way here and just um, speak to our hearts from your word. Thank you for this place and for each and every household that's here. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that is actually is enjoyable when I do come and visit is my grandchildren often ask me to tell them a story, a story either from my childhood or from, from my travel. So I thought what I would do today is I'd tell one of those stories about a, uh, about a place in, in another part of the world, Beijing, China. And it's, and it's about um, uh, two people, uh, a salesman and his boss. And I thought the, the way to... Uh, probably help you engage in this story is to, um, to kind of customize it to hear the people here at Faith. So uh, l- let's talk about the two people that are in the story. The, the first one is a salesman. Let's call him Lance, okay? And, and then Lance had a boss, and his boss, let's call him Basil, okay? <laughs> All right? So, so, so Lance and Basil get invited to go to Beijing uh, to a conference to, to participate, and so they do. Now, Lance had never been to Beijing before, but Basil actually had been living in Singapore for about five years, so he's well familiar with the area. And they, they go to Beijing, and they, they go, they do their thing the first day, they speak at the conference, and uh, they're invited to a dinner hosted by the president of the company that's, that's uh, hosting the, the conference. And it's going to be out in the countryside of Beijing. And when they get there, it's, it's late at night and it's dark. And they come to this tent-like structure. And a, a, as they walk up the steps to the tent, they open the flap. Uh, it's, a, it's a dirt floor. Uh, it, it, it's, it's barren except for a bunch of oriental statues and things around the inside. The only lighting is by these torch-lit lamps. And inside are three large, heavy wooden tables, round tables that seat about 12 people. And on each one of the tables is uh, another small round device that's, uh, that you swing around. You put food on it, and it goes from one, you turn, it goes from one person. I think they call them caddies. Well, so immediately when they get there, they, they're sat down, and Lance and Basil are allowed to sit at the table of honor with the president and his leaders from all over Asia. There's 12 of them at the table. And so Lance is here, Basil is to his right, the president is to the right of Basil. And so they immediately begin to feed them. They bring out these bowls and chopsticks. Now, Lance starts getting a little uneasy because, quite frankly, he's just a meat and potatoes guy, all right? He's not into any fancy kind of food, and he's heard about these things before. And, and so what, how it happens, they bring the platter out. They set it in front of the president. He's the first one to take it, and then he rotates the table around. Well, the first few uh, platters are, seem to be mild. They, they look kind of like something from Panda Express, but a, a, a little, maybe a little more raw than that. And, and, and you take it out, you put it in your bowl, and he's watching as everybody's doing and, and then a big vat steaming vat gets placed in front of the president with a ladle on it. Now Lance begins to worry. Okay, he's, he's going, I, 
you know, I, I've heard about this before. I, I'm, I, I'm getting a little uneasy in my stomach. You know, it looks like it's a greasy thing with uh, these heavy, thick leaves in it. And he was sure that he saw some eyeballs floating <laughs> in it, okay? Well, the president ladles his out, and he passes it around. And, and Lance is beginning to do this, woe is me. You know, why do I have to suffer through this kind of stuff? I wasn't expecting it. And as it goes around, he finally gets his ladle. And apparently what he was supposed to do was ladle it into on top of the other stuff. And then as he looked up, he noticed some of the other leaders were starting now to sip and drink it out of their bowl. Well, as he's concentrating on that, and he puts the ladle in to just pass the... The, the tray on to basil, the commotion starts at the table. And these Chinese guys are talking and everybody seems to be laughing and having a good time. The president's eyes are big. It's the worst thing in Lance's mind that could possibly happen. He, he, he had heard about this, but in front of the president, they lay this platter full of what appears to be bird heads. Eyeballs, beaks, stuff. And everybody's excited about this, except for Lance. Well, the, the president takes the head and puts it on and passes it around, and he's going, oh, what am I supposed to do? Dreads, sweat's dripping down his, his head. He, he knows he's, he doesn't like this, and he comes up with a plan. He said, by the time it comes over to me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out, I'm going to take my chopsticks. I'm going to bang them on the platter. I'm going to poke into the platter, I'm going to lift my left hand to block the view from the guy sitting next to me, and then I'm going to slap the water in my bowl and make it look like I took a head, okay? And he said, I think it's going to work because as I'm looking at it, everybody takes the head and they're now eating, their, their heads are down and he's watching and going, sure enough, by the time it gets to the guy next to him, he doesn't even look at, over at Lance, he just turns the table. Lance says, oh, this is perfect, so he hits it, sticks it in the platter and slaps it, lifts his arm, slaps it in his bowl, grabs a hold of the platter, starts to turn it. The platter doesn't move. The, it, it's stuck right in front of him. He, he really begins to worry. Oh, oh no, what am I supposed to do? People are going to look. So he grabs it again. He says, oh, maybe it's just like, and it won't move. You know, so he happens to turn to the right to see if Basil's paying attention. And Basil's looking right at He's got his arms stiff, his elbow tight. He's holding the platter from moving. <laughs> Lance is like, what are, you, what are you doing? All Basil does is with his arms stiff, looks over at Lance, looks at the bird heads, looks back at Lance and says, trust me. So we're going to leave Lance there right now, okay? <laughs> And, and, and I, I'm like, have you ever been in a trust me situation? Um, what, 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 what's Lance going to do? Have you ever been in a situation where it was a trust me and you were suffering? Should Lance trust Basil? Would you trust Basil? Acting, is trust, acting in trust sometimes comes upon us suddenly, or like in a moment, so to speak. And the measure of our trust and how we act on it is directly related to how well we know who or what we're trusting in, right? So I 
got an opening question for you all today. Do you trust God? And how does that trust, trust affect who you are? Your walk, your speech, your attitude, and your actions. Do you trust God when there's a difficult thing to do like Lance with something that you may not want to do but you know you probably should do? And perhaps when there's something associated with suffering for doing it in your mind. Um, our, our title today is Trust Me and something I call the Instead Principle. Our text is going to be from 1 Peter. And the big idea for today is trust God because you know him well by what he has made known to you through his word. Trust God because you know him well by what he has made known to you through his word. So how do we trust? Certainly it is easier to trust when you know who it is you are trusting. And there's a wonderful line running through this little epistle that goes something like this. Regardless of what you are feeling or dealing with, God says, trust me. And in trusting me, set aside how you wanted to respond and be a blessing instead. Peter goes to great length in this epistle to establish in our hearts and minds what it is that God has done for us. And thus, by faith, we are heirs of his blessing. And as such, we are then called to do likewise. And I want you to remember that word, likewise. This trusting God is not just something we should know, but we should be known by, we should be known for. And among all the other insightful topics in 1 Peter, this will be our focus today. Trust God, bless others. And because this is a one-week topic, I'd, I'd like you to forgive me for... Uh, just grabbing a pinch of perspective from, an, uh, from a letter that's so full of uh, encouragement and, and so, so full of uh, instruction. And as such, one of the things I want to address this, moan, this morning is, is something um, our culture has, has kind of uh, fallen into. It's the woe is me mentality. Um, it's what we call suffering. It, it's different than the physical suffering that the readers of this letter will experience. Uh, especially in a few years from when it was written under Emperor Nero. The suffering I will refer to today are those things we deal with from what I call our agents of sanctification. Who are our agents of sanctification? Who are the agents of sanctification in your life? Well, let me help you with that. They are those that the Lord provides in your life that cause you to grow. You know the ones. The ones you growl about. Those that help you prove your trust. Those that you suffer or put up with. People, you don't, people who, who don't do it your way. Or even worse yet, they think their way is right. Now, you know I can see all of you. 
I, I can see you kind of uh, thinking about who, mm, that's my brother-in-law, you know, you know. As we follow along in 1 Peter, I'd like you to think through how this passage provides for you something to talk to God about, particularly about people in your life. This, of course, includes those within our own home and among our family members. As we get through this, I think you'll find it's where the instead principle applies best. So with that said, let's look at how God has been saying to you, trust me. Let's consider what it means and then see what it looks like when trusting him becomes who we are. That is, taking these imperatives that we see in Scripture, immersing ourselves in what they mean so that they become who we are. So if you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Peter. And um, what, what I'm going to do to get to the actual text of today is uh, I'm going to glide over the first two chapters of, of 1 Peter. It's going to be kind of like one of those exhilarating uh, helicopter rides over the Grand Canyon where you ooh and ah at the things you see, okay? But you got to have your seatbelts on because we're going to go through this fairly quickly. Let me, let me just highlight some things as we get to chapter 3. It begins right away with uh, telling us who wrote it, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to uh, those that reside as aliens who are chosen, in verse 1, um, according to the sanctifying work of the Spirit, so that you may obey Jesus Christ, in verse 2, and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and be, peace of, be yours in the fullest measure. Oh, by the way, I know this is probably an ESV crowd, but I'm reading from an NASB. It's an old man's version, and I like it better. You know, so, okay. <laughs> Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, th th w this, this opening uh, uh, passage here is just full of uh, biblical truth about who we are and, and what God has done. Grace and peace in the fullest measure. You who have been chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that we might obey and follow the example of Christ. This is the truth of what he has done, what he has caused, and the fact that he has protected us it is all done by him through faith. So what does it mean for us? Well, after he opens with that, he tells us that in verses 6 and 7, we're going to go through various trials. Uh, we're going to be tested. But, it, but you get one of those, however, but you, and then he begins to lay out the, the, what, what all this means to us in terms of um, how we're supposed to live our life. Now, on the basis of his promise through the first few verses, he says this, starting in verse 13, and this is where we're really going to sail. Verse 13, gird your minds for action. Verse 14, do not be conformed. Verse 17, conduct yourselves in fear. 
verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. So that, verse 21, your faith and hope are in God. And it goes on. Verse 22, fervently love one another from the heart. You have been born again. Verse 1, chapter 2, put aside all malice and guile, all the bad things. Because verse 5, you are being built up to be a spiritual house. And then we get down to 9 and 10 in chapter 2 when you get that beautiful, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Verse 10, you are the people of God. Hey, this isn't have your people call my people. This is you are the people. This is a significant foundational truth for us to know and live by. But then it continues and it goes on. Verse 12, chapter 2, keep your behavior excellent. Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. Verse uh, 17, honor all men. Down in verse 20, do what is right and patiently endure. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. I'm exhausted. Are you? That's a lot of stuff to consider. That's a lot of stuff to do. Do you ever feel feeble when you read these action words? Even though they are the very words of God to us, do you find yourself either quickly just glossing over them, not really intent on wanting to consider what it means in my life? Is it because it seems like a lot and there just might have to be something changing in me? You see, that is what often happens when we just know what the Bible says. You see, that phrase that I started out with, it is good to know what the Bible says, it is better to know what it means, it's best that it becomes who you are, was something I observed from a whole bunch of children over the years memorizing Scripture, VBS, Awana, Sunday School, and they would come up and they could just roll off those verses, and I often said to myself sitting in the crowd, I wonder if they know what they mean. Is it evident in their lives? Will it all just go away? Will it just seem like a lot of work? And so I would just say this to moms and dads and anybody that, that leads or teach, just, just remember this. It's good to know what the Bible says. Bible memory is great. I love it. But what would be even better is if you help those young people know what those verses meant so that it became part of who they are. How does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. Thy word I have hidden in my heart. I have embedded in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Much of what Peter has written in this letter is about suffering. Now, as we can see from their various trials to the fact that a greater persecution is coming for them. What they will suffer under Nero, we most likely will never have to endure in our lifetime. And so our attention today is where Peter's focus is next and what I call the instead principle. The putting into action 
what we know by following the example of Christ as it pertains to our woe when it becomes to others. This begins with our call to trust in faith, trust by faith, in hope we have in Christ. A repeated fact that Peter states over and over in this epistle. Let, let's look now at uh, what will be our focus verses. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 20, and read through 25. Chapter 20, starting halfway through the verse. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. For this purpose, Christ as an example, in his suffering, he did not, but he trusted God. I'd like us to stop and, and just pause about that in our lives. I, I, I love this anytime that I run into conflict. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. What did he do in those situations of conflict but to trust his father? Faith, there will be trials in our lives, and the degree of suffering we experience in each should be seen as a time to follow the example of Christ. Christ, who bore our sins, and by his wounds we were healed. I'll go back to something now I said earlier. In this day and age, we are not, in Goshen, Kentucky, experiencing the persecution of Nero. So where can we focus with a text like this? How about where it takes us next in our application to today? Dealing with the people. Those agents of sanctification in our lives. If we follow along and we drop down into verse chapter 3, verse 1, we see where the likewise comes in again. Who are the people? Likewise. Or in the same way, you wives. Verse 7, you husbands, likewise. Verse 8, likewise, sum it all up. Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The instead principle, our example is Christ. He has called us to edify one another, wives and husbands and all people. How? By the process of being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And if you continue all the way down to verse 11 and chapter 4, 
by the power in which he provides, serving others. So do you remember when I asked you about those folks in your life that make you growl, grumble, or groan? Don't raise your hand. Maybe it's your wife, husband, child, brother, sister, boss, co-worker, fellow believer. Those agents of sanctification for which a passage like this is written. Let's unpack it, and while we do so, please consider your own circumstances. First and fundamentally, it is important to recognize the he himself of God's purpose and place in all of this, and then the key to his example. Let me reread 23 and 24 of chapter 2. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. Trust me, for this is what you have been called to. Let's go back. Do you trust God in times with those that make you growl? Is that one of the first things that come to mind when you have a little conflict in your home? Where your coworker isn't doing what you want him to do, where your neighbor doesn't mow their lawn correctly, you know, all those kinds of things. Perhaps it's a matter of perspective regarding them. Now, since Peter speaks to husbands and wives here, let me offer an example of rather than engaging in conflict, you become a blessing instead. Studying others makes life interesting. Of course, we can spend a lot of time considering how others should change. That's not what's going on here. When we stop thinking about how they should change, change often happens in me. The instead principle is seeing God's use of others in my life for my benefit. Thus, my growing makes me a blessing to them. You see, our differences are beneficial. The people are divinely appointed agents of sanctification in our lives. This is about the tie between the gospel's word in us by faith and then our walk or outcropping of it in our lives. So now what I'm about to share is an example regarding people and relationships. However, when the Word of God becomes who we are, it affects all areas of life, and not just in our manner or our response to others. And so let's begin with a couple of application examples as the text proceeds to wives and husbands and all. For the purpose of today, and to give you some thought homework Please know I am expressing a set of examples strictly pertaining to Christ's example of when reviled, he did not revile in return, and our call to not return insult for insult. You see, sometimes the point our agents of sanctification are making feels more like a poke, doesn't it? You know who they are in your life. 
the ones that can push your buttons. Do you have those people that can push your buttons? That sometimes their point they're trying to make feels like a poke? I got a good visual uh, remedy for that. You see, Christ was poked as well. He was poked in the flesh with a spear on our behalf. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Now, I realize this is easier said than done. There's another saying that we used to have in our families. Everything was fine until you hit me back. Okay, how might this agent of sanctification in your life called your wife or husband provide for you an opportunity to be a blessing? I'm not going to deal with either the call for wives to submit or the husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Instead, I'm simply going to suggest a renewing of our minds in thinking about each other, one that leads to blessing. This renewal thinking can be applied to any character consideration used by anybody with anybody. So just to keep us in this, the right frame of mind, I'm leaving the instead principle up on top and Jesus' example as the second verse there. But what I'd like to do is paint a scenario that you may be familiar with in a home. It goes like this. Wives. There is something you have wanted done around the house which your husband would need to do and will cost a bit of money. You see, you see it as more immediate than he does. By a raise of hands. No, no elbowing. Okay. When you consider your husband's character in handling of this, you may think he is a lazy procrastinator and a tightwad. And perhaps you speak to him this way and act towards him in a manner consistent with your thoughts. Now, I'm not saying this would happen with any of the saints here at faith. Okay. And so, husbands, in the same scenario, because she has approached you a number of times regarding this thing that she would like to see done. You think she is a nitpicky nag who wants to micromanage you. And perhaps you speak to her in this way and act towards her in a manner consistent with your thoughts. Now, I realize my description in these may be a bit exaggerated, right? But Paul would say in Ephesians 4, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And again, that Romans 12 passage, do not be conformed to the world's way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So perhaps there's another way of looking at each other, thus affecting the way we speak and treat each other. Blessing one another with the new you. Wives, it could go like this for you as you consider that procrastinating tightwad husband. Maybe you might want to look at him in this light. Maybe you might want to edify him with these thoughts. Well, you know, his pace in reacting to issues around the house really keeps me from overreacting to them, and his caution in spending helps me properly identify our priorities. Amen, guys? <laughs> you see, this is the word becoming who you are. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, serving others by the strengths that he provides. Husband, perhaps there's another way of looking at her and thus speaking and treating her. You could edify her as well. Perhaps you might be considering her in a different light. Maybe the way you speak to her is her attention to detail is often beneficial, yes. Her questioning of my intentions helps me process the impact of my decisions. Is this what you wish from your husband's lady? It's okay to say amen. <laughs> this is not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but being a blessing instead. You know what? This is what's called a spiritual act of worship. Think with me now, faith. How can you trust God to take what you know in your head and make it an action of your heart for the benefit of others and for God's glory? Do you entrust yourself to him in these real-life instances like Christ did? Will you trust him to override your sinful nature to have it your way? Like when you give credence to the lie that they are wrong and you are right? This type scenario comes in so many different disguises, doesn't it? And for that matter, in all of life, I have given us but one example. However, the answer to every example is the example we see in verse 23. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The call is to trust your Lord. The call is to be a blessing to others. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, serving others by the strength that he provides. How? By standing firmly on the foundation of faith in, in what Christ has done for us. Knowing this, not just in our minds, but at the core of who we are, it makes it possible for us then to do for others. And this only works if the word is working in you. Knowing what the word means is the process of abetting it in our hearts. I'll go back to Psalm 119. Again, how does someone keep their way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. Thy word, God, I have hidden in my heart. I have embedded in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Faith, may we follow Christ's example 
entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously, our Creator, Savior, and our Lord. Remembering that it is good to know what the Bible says. It is better to know what it means so that we may be known by the way it has become who we are. God says, trust me. Let me pray for us.